0: One, two, three.
1: Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that acts as a biographical soundtrack of our guests' lives, asking them to connect specific songs to memorable moments of their past. Thanks for listening. I'm Tara Calligan. Our guest this week is Dave Lapham. Dave grew up in Dearborn, Michigan, surrounded by punk and rock music of the 70s through the 90s, setting the tone for the rest of his life. As a kid, he was into guitars, muscle cars, girls, BMX, and skateboarding. He says the first time he saw pictures of Led Zeppelin guitarist Jimmy Page, he knew he was destined to play a Les Paul. After showing an aptitude for the technical side of guitars, he became a professional guitar technician from 2003 to 2017. He toured the world with bands like Queens of the Stone Age and My Chemical Romance, and with musicians Jerry Cantrell of Alice in Chains, Chris Cornell of Soundgarden, Peter Murphy of Bauhaus, Billy Idol, and on and on. Dave was recommended by episode 240 guest and Dave's awesome wife, Jenny Lapham. She's a mental health advocate and a sociology fangirl, and we just loved having her in studio. But it is time to buckle up for killer backstage stories and 70s and 90s rock nostalgia as we walk the musical memory lane of Dave Lapham. Hey there, Dave. Hi. So have you listened to any music so far today?
0: I have. um, Coming coming into this... Um, really just started making me think about music that I listened to and, and then bands that like blew me away when I heard the record, like just came out of nowhere and kind of punched you in the face. Um, so like there was this band, uh, recover and I heard a EP of theirs back when I was on Warp Tour in like 2002. And it just blew my mind. Like I think the drummer from uh George from Hot water, music Hot water Music. Introduced me to it and he was like, You gotta check this out and then like me and Tucker from Thursday, the drummer, um just blown away by the band. It was it was so cool. And uh yeah, I love those moments, like and it re- started opening pandora's box of like what i forgot like what i haven't listened to in a while so describe
1: was, the band for people who may not have heard of them before what does it sound like
0: um well i mean it's that like late 90s early 2000 kind of emo rock indie rock like um it was cool it, it was yeah, it, it, it was a fun record. Like it, like those those records are just, like I said, just punch you in the face and like you can't stop listening to it. I love that.
1: We're like, going to talk a lot about that kind of music yeah, I yeah. Think, throughout this entire interview, which I'm very excited we, about.
0: we we got a lot to talk about. If so. you are a, fr- <laughs> if a fan
1: of emo, uh, hardcore, punk, uh, 90s rock, you're going to love this. Uh, so you, you came to us as a guest by way of uh, – past guest is your wife uh jenny she's a mental health advocate uh and a sociology sociology fangirl Uh, so if you have not listened to that episode you can catch that that's 240 and you listened to her episode Yep. what did you think
0: she's great i mean she's a great storyteller she's an amazing person and she's she just draws you in when she talks and like she's extreme the most intelligent person i know and uh can just like bring you in where you just want to sit there and listen like yeah she's great.
1: Yeah, if you haven't checked that out, episode 240, did you help her with her three songs by chance or did no. you talk about it at all?
0: Nope. No. No. And I was like when the songs played, I was like, "Whoa, where the hell did that come from?" <laughs>
1: like Any stories It was totally you unexpected.
0: It, it, yeah, it was uh I mean, it, I think there was like a couple of moments that I had heard about, but yeah, it was kind of just like cool you know like new stuff you like you always learn new stuff and like (laughs) she does stuff sometimes where it's uh like a fact of the like the fact for the day (laughs) like um so yeah it was was cool
1: love that uh where did you grow up
0: uh Dearborn Michigan
1: okay how would you describe the music that was being played around you your childhood there in Michigan
0: um well it I'm 50s, so growing up in the mid to late 70s and early 80s, like that was a such a such a cool time, like just to be a kid, like and music was just crazy. Like I mean, rock and roll was nuts. You had guitar gods. I mean, Jimmy Page, Eddie Van Halen, uh, Randy Rhodes. Jeff Beck, like, all these people that um, just blew my mind. And I was surrounded by people that were really into music, whether it was the older kids in our neighborhood or my dad, um, who taught me, like, a lot about doo-wop and Motown because yeah. growing up in there. Yeah. And uh, so I got to, like, learn all different kinds of music. And my mom was into, like, easy listening and stuff like that. So... It was, it was great, and it like there was a. I used to have this orange suitcase record player, like nice. this little. It was white plastic on the inside. It was terrible, and <laughs>
1: the speakers built into it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And, it, and
0: it just sounds like garbage. But um, so my dad had a copy of Led Zeppelin 2, and I was probably like four or five years old. It's like one of my earliest memories. And it was that almost famous moment where you're sitting there watching the record and listening to that. And it was just like, whoa, like everything just shuts off. And uh, yeah, I, like it just like and I saw pictures of Jimmy Page and like playing Les Paul and wearing his dragon pants. And, yes. you know, like I was like, I'm playing that guitar like when I get older. That's peak, the guitar I'm Peak
1: Jimmy Page, right,
0: <laughs> yeah, like like mid seventies like uh seventy five seventy six like before he got really skinny, like right around, like song remains the same, like that I think that was probably like his best look and like vibe and all that stuff in the band was killing it, like so it was uh, yeah, it's it's those moments, and then like Randy Rhodes like. The first, I got a cassette radio player, like uh, we called him a boombox back then. Mm -hmm. But um, And my first two cassettes, I got it for my birthday, and my mom got me two cassettes. One was Pac-Man Fever, (laughs) (laughs) and the other was Ozzy Diary of a Madman.
1: Wow. And
0: like I'm this little kid with a jean jacket Mm -hmm. and writing on my jeans and writing Ozzy on my knuckles and (laughs) – you know, going to school and stuff and uh, just listening to, like, Flying High again over and over and over again. It was just his guitar solos were, like, mesmerizing.
1: Was that the first music you think that you physically owned?
0: Um, yeah, I, rock and roll in general. It was, like, it, I had records. Like, I, I was a Kiss fan. I mean, what kid wasn't in, in the 70s, so I had like a bunch of Kiss records and dressed up like Kiss for Halloween. And
1: who'd you dress as? Uh,
0: I think my costume was Paul Stanley, it was there one of go. those those cheap plastic ones, yeah, yeah, it was not even the those. face
1: paint. It was a yeah, math. I love that. And my brother, <laughs> I think, was uh
0: Gene Simmons, but I always loved Ace, like Ace's solo record is you know, hands down the best. Kiss I have not record. listened it's, to
1: it i will do that it's
0: so good like it, it it's one of the best-selling kiss records i believe like hmm. i don't think gene's too happy about that but <laughs> um it's just a it's an amazing record and the musicians that played on it like just phenomenal
1: that's fantastic you know i mean you think about the first physical piece of music too that maybe you sought out that you purchased can you remember what that was
0: it it had to be a kiss record yeah like my mom taking us to a record store and, um, you know, letting us pick out a record or whatever. And I think it would have been Dynasty or one of those solo records Mm -hmm. um, right around that time. And then they would get us records and stuff. And there was, like, uh, compilation records. And I had, like, Tom Petty. I had Journey. I had... I had all kinds of different stuff because I just loved music. It was my first love, you know, like I knew, like hot rods and, you know, cars and music were like, that was me. Like I could call out every car on the road.
1: It's like the staple of the 70s, I feel like, those, those yeah, things, it,
0: right? It was such, I mean, it was such a great time to be a kid. Like, you know, when you look at it now with everything that's going on and, you know, as far as technology and things like that. And it was just so much simpler. Like, I don't know, the air smelled different. It, it was like, maybe it was the leaded fuel, but it was uh, it was uh, just, like, you didn't worry like you do now. And there was tons of kids playing outside all the time. Nobody wanted to be in the house. We were out, like, and it was, like, pulling teeth to get us back in. And uh, it was just great everybody rode bikes and you know BMX bikes like BMX started coming in in the mid to late 70s and um and it was like rock and roll bikes and like even we were little kids and all the older kids we'd play street hockey together we'd play football whatever you know like so they that was a thing like they opened me up to a lot of rock and roll Sabbath and like Aerosmith, and I mean, I could go on and on for days. I mean, all those bands, it was just awesome.
1: What about your grandparents? Did, you, did they have a lot of musical influence or they play a lot of music that you can remember at all?
0: My grandparents on my dad's side, not really, like, nobody was really, like, musically inclined. Mm. But my grandmother on my mom's side was, and she was actually a singer back in the early 1900s. And was going to cut a record and do a deal and all that stuff. And, you know, fortunately for me, she met my grandfather and got married and was pregnant. And it kind of put the kibosh on that. Mm. But, um, yeah, she was a singer, recorded something.
1: What kind of music?
0: Um, I've never heard it because we've been trying to find a copy of it. But, oh. Um, it would have been like in around nineteen, nineteen twenty, like that mm. early. Um. So she was a solo singer. Like, yeah. So it, it was.
1: I hope you can find that sometime. I, that would be fancy. How fascinating that would be.
0: Yeah, it would be killer. I think it, it might have been on, I'm not for sure, but it might have been like Gold Tone Records, I think was a record company. Wow. Um. Yeah, but she was, uh, you know, from a Hungarian family and grew up in Delray in Detroit, which uh, Delray is a very tough neighborhood now. <laughs> What's left of it? Right. But, um, yeah, yeah it was, uh, that was cool. When I found that out, like, I didn't find it out till later on, but I was, you know, and she always... Would tell me like uh, you know oh my favorite how's my little gypsy like travel in the world and all that stuff. so It's
1: a fascinating background that you come from. I mean that, that's <laughs> that's really neat. We'll get into where how that kind of fits yeah, yeah. into what you've done later on. Can you remember the first music that you saw performed live?
0: Live, ooh, the first concert I went to was Molly Crew Theater of Pain.
1: Not bad. Not a bad first one. Yeah. How old were you?
0: I was in seventh grade and junior high because I wore my Motley Crue shirt for my school pictures. Yeah, you did. (laughs) I had a tail (laughs) and like I had a mullet and, you know, Jordache jeans and all that stuff, Panama hat.
1: Who'd you go with to the concert?
0: Uh, It was a friend of mine, uh, Pat Woldanski. He was older, but I knew his brother as well. Like, we all BMX'd and... Like there was a point when they were there was an area where I grew up, they it used to be a big park and the in woods, and then they developed it and built houses, which we ended my mom and dad ended up buying a house there and that's where we lived. But when there was only a handful of houses and they were building all these condominiums, they bull, bulldozed all this dirt up. So there were these huge dirt piles. We turned it into a BMX track, like these huge, like six and eight foot jumps and like all this stuff. So that's how we kind of met. Like all the kids in the neighborhood would go there and ride and do tricks. And so that, that's how it came to be. And then I ended up, uh, really getting into skateboarding in the mid eighties. Um, when that kind of started to explode and, uh, They also got into it, not as much as I did and some other people, but um, we also did that too. So it was kind of, it was really cool, but we all loved music and Pat was like, he, he was very meticulous about stuff and he had a cassette collection that would blow your mind. Like he had everything and like he would pick out what tapes he was taking with him like in the car like so it was uh he asked me if i wanted to go and his mom and dad were always like super supportive of that stuff and they were great guys so my mom was like okay you can go downtown you know go to this couch she wasn't crazy (laughs) about it but um
1: go see motley Crue, son
0: yeah motley motley Crue, keel and loudness
1: Oh, wow. Uh, so what was that experience like? What was it, you know, the concert, uh, and how just, did that feel?
0: It was crazy, the yeah. smell of weed. I can't imagine. Like, you know, and I knew what it was because all the older kids in the neighborhood, they were all smoking weed and drinking. And so I learned all that stuff at an early age. You know? But, uh, yeah, it was it was just cool seeing, like, all the girls and, the like, everybody just going nuts. It, it was – and it was loud, and it was great. It was so cool.
1: Did you get to see a cool uh, Tommy Lee guitar solo situation that you can remember?
0: I don't really remember. <laughs> um, I think they were, if I'm right, they were having a few issues at that point as mm, a band and yep. weren't happy about that record and things like that. But it was, uh, it was still great when you're a young kid and, like, yeah, Motley Crue when they came onto the scene, it was like after like all the '70s bands that I listened to and all that stuff. When Motley Crue hit the scene, and um, like them, and like Billy Idol, and then you know Van Halen came out with '84 mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, and it was—I mean—it was just another like great moment in music, and to be a part of it, and it was. Motley Crew was just every kid's dream. Like
1: it's such a different energy those bands too. Considering yeah. you're listening to Led Zeppelin and then, Motley- I mean, it's just uh, it's it's rock, but it's just so different. It has that and extra added of had- pop kind of element too. That's just a different energy. They to were it. catchy.
0: Yes. And rock music was. There wasn't. I mean, pop music sucked and nobody nobody listened to it. Like it was. But I guess it was more like, more divided. Like, it was like heavy metal, straight up rock and roll, like bands like Bad Company and things like that. They were still around. Um, But then you had like New Wave and the other stuff. And then on the very, very underground, which I didn't know about yet, was punk rock. And it kind of, I think it was, you know, Motley Crue had those elements that, kind of like we're close and I think it fed into that like punk rock world for me like it started to it was it was like from that band right onto the the next moment where I just kind of had my mind blown and When I got into skateboarding, a bunch of us we hung out with a bunch of punks and stuff like that, and Black Flag. Like, I got introduced to to that stuff, and I got my Black Black Flag Flag tattoo. tattoo. (laughs) Um, So, a guy that I grew up with in the neighborhood, um, we—he was huge into punk. He was skinhead, and um, he had this crappy radio that. The cassette drawer was gone, so you had to lay it on its back to so it could play. And, like, it was full of marker and stickers and spray paint. For the first time, I had heard Minor Threat, Filler, Black Flag, Rise Above. And my second almost famous moment where I just, like, looked at that radio. I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And it was... Yeah, it was just there. That really changed my life. And then later on, what I got into and what I became, like, that was, like, the first big stepping stone.
1: When did you start playing guitar? Was that the first instrument that you played or what? What? Okay.
0: Um, Early, I think I was 12 or 13. My mom and dad got me a, a Fender Acoustic. I ended up losing it somewhere, <laughs> left it over somebody's house. Um,
1: Just lose a whole acoustic guitar.
0: Well, it's funny. I I left it there, and then skating was always most important. Like, we were – we'd skateboard every day. Ice, snow, didn't matter. Like, we were we were Michigan kids, and that's what you had to do. Um, But the guitar ended up going missing – and then after a while I was like, Where the hell did I where is this thing? Not till years later I talked to an old friend from back then that I went to school with and skated with and stuff. He's like, Oh, we uh we sold it and traded <laughs> it in for an electric guitar. <laughs> so and I remember it was like this red lipstick, red BC Rich. Like yeah. I was like
1: where the this comes
0: from like
1: oh, thanks, man. And they never
0: told me back then your like,
1: acoustic guitar, yeah.
0: That used to be.
1: I half yeah. expected you to tell me that they smashed it for some reason. I, I, I
0: probably would have appreciated <laughs> that much better, but
1: well, let's get to the music. Uh, this is yeah. gonna, oh, what is your first song? Can you tell us what your first song is,
0: uh, Seals and Croft, uh, Summer Breeze. It just It, it takes every time I hear that song, I love listening to it. And being with my mom, <clears throat> me and my brother when we were kids, and my mom worked in the auto industry, and so she was working, like, crazy hours, and then at one point wasn't working because 1980, everything collapsed. Um, and my dad was looking for jobs and, you know, not really settling into where he was going to be yet, but being in the car so much with them and being around cars and music and other stuff. And my mom listened to, like, that kind of more easy listening stuff. Barry Manilow, The Carpenters, Seals and Croft, Dan Folgerberg, like, all that stuff. And those songs would come on and, like... I think I realized at that young age, in the mid-70s, like, that I liked all kinds of music. And that song in particular... I've always loved that song. Whenever it comes on, I listen to it from beginning to end and I love it and it reminds me of summer in Michigan. It reminds me being a kid and all of us playing in the neighborhood and riding our big wheels and like, yeah, it just and it just makes me happy and comforted every time I hear it.
1: Fantastic. Let's listen to it. Are you cool. ready to listen to it? Yeah. Beautiful. You're listening to Three Song Stories biography through music. This is Dave Lapham's first song here on Three Song Stories. It's Summer Breeze by Seals and Crofts from the 1972 album of the same name. Summer
0: Breeze makes me feel fine.
1: So if you close your eyes, you think about summertime in Michigan growing up. What does that look like?
0: Oh, uh, it's like the maple and oak trees and their their leaves all green and smell of grass, people cutting their grass and sound of an ice cream truck coming through the neighborhood ringing a bell like the actual like good humor guys that you know I'm old enough that I experienced uh, the good humor guys that actually wore the outfit like the hat and they, they had these Ford pickups that had ice boxes on the back of them with these chrome handled doors and the cab of it they chopped the roof off so it was just open and they had these bells that they would ring with a string and that yeah it was you know that's I watched that kind of stuff fade away and there was another guy that this old guy that would come through the neighborhood every summer and you'd hear him ringing this bell with his hand and he was a knife sharpening guy and he would go around with this little cart with a sharpening stone and sharpen Kitchen knives for people.
1: I miss that. Uh, I know Miami has that culture still quite a bit. Yeah, um, and maybe certain areas around here, but I don't know of them here in Southwest Florida too many. I would love that if that kind of came back. I grew up it's, in this very small town in uh, northern New Jersey called Hopakon, Very small. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the kind of same culture. And my mom calling for me, yelling. My brother's name is Matt, so it's be like Matt Tara or the very clap whistle that she would do from our deck from to try to get us to come <laughs> home at night. So it just you know flashes of that kind of pop into my brain with that yeah
0: you it, like those it it brings you back to those like those smells and everything that i mean i can i can see it and taste it and like and it was so simple back then and it, it just seemed simpler and it was just fun and more carefree and like and maybe that's just being a kid but you know with without distractions like uh electronics and phones and things like that, you thought about your bike or building forts or, you know, just being outside and raising hell and being a kid and having fun, getting bruised and scratched up.
1: What uh, trees you could build forts in and what trees you couldn't build forts in because then you get covered in sap.
0: Well, see, yeah. (laughs) And then we had in, uh, and it's a Michigan, Detroit thing, we always – the night before Halloween is called Devil's Night. Yes, it is. Uh, it, it will always be. They can try to change it and say it's <laughs> Angel's Night, but it's not. And uh, so, you know, fortunately, we weren't on the side where people were setting houses on fire. But um, kids would go around in soap cars and egg cars and, you know, just kind of minimal vandalized
1: yeah, – Little bits uh, of chaos. Yeah,
0: shaving cream stuff, <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. So – me and my friends would go around and rake everybody's leaves, and build like army forts out of bags of leaves, <laughs> and wait out on our front lawn for kids to try to egg our house, and then we'd, we'd throw stuff at them Defend. like rocks or sticks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, we had camo on, like we dressed like little army guys and stuff. <laughs> it was it was so much fun.
1: Where does uh, that song fit into your life now, if it, if it does?
0: Um Oh, the seals and crops. Yeah. It, 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 it's nice to it like take me back to those moments when like I said, I mean everything you know, you're an adult and you're stressing about stuff like how am I gonna pay bills and do all this stuff and you know, I could be in the in that kind of zone and then hear that song and I just kinda check out. Like and sit and listen to the music and just enjoy it and forget about the other stuff.
1: And so you were a guitar technician for, and you worked with Queens of the Stone Age, My Chemical Romance. I mean, I saw Jerry Cantrell, The Alice in Chains, yep. uh, Chris Cornell, Soundgarden, uh, Peter Murphy of Bauhaus. I mean, so many. I played
0: on stage with him.
1: That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. See, it's like there's so many you know things that you've done. How did How did you make your way into that world? But I guess first, what is a guitar tech? For people who might not really know what that is, well, what you're entails.
0: yeah, it's uh, you know, the music like a, sh- a live show just takes on all the it has all the people that you never see your sound engineers, your monitor engineers, the guys that run cable, the light techs, the you know, and then the band has their personal techs, like either a drum tech, a bass tech, guitar tech. Um, and you have your tour manager, and some of those people have assistants sometimes. It depends on the size of the band, but um, a guitar tech, or any any tech, drum tech, guitar tech, you take care of that person and take care of their equipment. So all they have to do is get up on stage and do their thing, just have fun, forget about it. Um, And the cool thing was, like, when I started out, I used to play in a, a couple of punk bands in Detroit, and that's how it all started. Um, after, well, I skateboarded and was into punk and all that stuff. And how
1: old were you around this time? You think?
0: Um, when I started working, or when I was like
1: no, wait, yeah, uh, so when you started kind of getting into the guitar tech world?
0: Oh, that was uh, like two thousand three. Okay, two thousand two. Yeah. Um, and the band I was in, PT's Avenge, we broke up and, but we had right before that we had gone on tour with Suicide Machines. They were all friends of ours. So they took us on as an opening act for like their East coast for like a week. And it was the first time I'd ever went on tour and like, it was super cool. And their tour manager watched how I kind of did things. And I, I was the oldest in the band, so I kind of, you know, did, took care of the equipment. Be the I mean, band dad. To, kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as much as you can be in a band, I was the band, guy I that they didn't want to hear, <laughs> like, I was always like, well, where the hell are we getting the money for that? Yeah. <laughs> like, where's that coming from? Um, so I took care of my own stuff and kind of took care of their stuff and, their Suicide Machines tour manager, Tony, um, he was like, man, if you ever thought about being a guitar tech, like, you would be really good at it. Like, you would make really good money. I was like, cool. So I always kept it in the back of my head, and then months later, the band broke up, and I gave Tony a call, and I was like, got anything? And he said, yeah, let me work on something. So he's like, His idea was get your foot in the door. So I he lined me up with working for MXPX, doing merch for them. And then at the same time I was like, All right, cool, I'm doing warp tour for the summer doing that. And then and I actually started out at decent money a lot A lot of guys don't because they're friends of the band or whatever. So they get like – they could make more at McDonald's.
1: Right. They can help out because you're a friend. We know you come on tour with us. Help us out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And luckily I got involved with the right people and started out making a really decent wage. Um, So then I lined that up. And then a friend of mine from Detroit, Deanna, uh, she worked for like Ritual and the State Theater and – um some of my music girls, like Ramona and Julie and all these people, they worked for like SFX and like, so they were the promoters of all these shows and stuff and they were connected with people. And so she called me, she's like, Hey, my friend, uh, Greg Dean's looking for somebody to drive a truck for Peter Murphy for a month and a half. And I was like, Oh, that works out great. I'll do that. And then go right from there. It was like, do that, home for like three days, and then I went on a warp tour. So I had that all lined up, and the girl I was seeing at the time, I was like, all right, let's go on vacation like before I got a split and all this stuff. Well, then all of a sudden I get a call that the church needs a guitar tech, and that was my very first guitar tech gig. And I flew to Minneapolis and... Did a show at First Ave and met all those guys, and they were just – they were amazing guys. And and then, you know, under the Milky Way tonight, like, that was – it was like, holy shit, Like, and then I, it was like, man, I'm starting to do this. Like, I'm like, working in real. the music industry. It's yeah, working out. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I did two weeks with them home for like two or three days, went on tour with Peter Murphy, driving a truck, and then ended up, I, he invited me on stage and I played guitar on T-Rex's Get It On, his cover. <laughs> that's amazing. And he like wrapped a bow around right. me and oh. like, and it was in Jersey.
1: Oh, fantastic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and then after that, I went on tour with MXPX and then I ended up, that's how I met all the guys in Hot Water and all those, and the guys in Thursday and all these bands, and that's how it snowballed, and started from there.
1: He said MXPX, and I immediately the song Chick Magnet popped into my head. I've right. thought about that song in so many. I probably at least a decade or so. I've not even thought about that song. Yeah, so it'll be stuck was that in my head.
0: Record with the buffalo in front
1: of it. Oh, it was their best. Record, yeah, it was their it was, best record. Oh, yeah. I was say, Jared, we could, we can Google it really quick back and look it up. We'll get there. Um, I and I. I did Google you. We do that, you know, to get to know our guests a little bit. Uh, so did, I, I I googled you, find, you. Ooh, this is fun. Okay. I found the line, but what well, did I find? What? Wait, what did I find? What do you think I found?
0: Well, I was on tour. <laughs> it, it, it's one, it, It's a super phony moment. So I was on tour. We were in Germany mm-hmm. in Cologne, I think, at a hotel that's uh, right on the river. And I walk in and I go to check in. and hand him my passport, and the guy's like looking at my passport and looking at me. David Lapham, he's like, "I'm like, yeah, okay. Can I have your autograph?" I'm like, "Who the f- is this?" Guy? Like, <laughs> what? I'm like, "Who, who do you think I?" He was like, "Are you the comic book artist?" I was like, "No, no." Yeah, there's some famous...
1: There's a very famous comic book. I did find that, but I saw that and I was like, no, that's not him. And I immediately yeah. moved on. Yeah, so, so I, I didn't I even got, go
0: that way. I kind of laughed. I did you like, sign
1: it? Did you give me your autograph? I,
0: I might. I was like, <laughs> I'll give it to you if you want. <laughs> but...
1: Well, this, no. I Googled you, and I found okay. you. Uh, no. So this is a line that popped up. Guitar tech, quote, punk rock Dave. We'll get there Why that became your nickname. Yep. Uh, Lapham tells a story about when Chris Cornell chopped Yogi's cable in half with his microphone stand on stage. Uh, I want to hear that story. Will you tell me that story?
0: Yeah. Cr- um,
1: <laughs> and Chris Cornell of Soundgarden, in, in case.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, in Chris, like, When I started working for Chris, it was, I had taken some time off the road and ended up having a bunch of back surgeries and all Mm. kinds of stuff, lost the use of my left hand. I still can't play like I used to, but, um, got pretty dark. Um, and then, and my hand wasn't working like it was, my fingers wouldn't work like anything to do with straighten my arm was really screwed up and, uh trying to tune a guitar started to get my hand working. It was painful. It was super painful. And, um, I just started doing it. I was like, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was like, how am I going to work? How am I going to do this? I got really depressed and, um, and got to a really, really dark place. I hit bottom and then, uh, it brought me out of it the guitar trying to work on a guitar brought me out of that and gave me hope i was like not i'm not going to stop doing this and uh so i did it and i talked to a friend of mine kevin kevin carter and he was going out with chris cornell, cornell. and he was like i got you a guitar tech gig with them if you want it i was like awesome so, and my hand was still screwed up, but I just powered through it and just started back again and it was yeah, just full bore so that's fantastic but he uh yeah chris was um and I miss him he's a he was a great dude um he put on a great show he was and with the with those guys, it was like they were a bunch of Hired gun musicians, but they were great guys like Pete Thorne. He's just a stupid guitar Insane. player. Like he guitar is, player. He's such a nice guy, and he's so mechanical. And mm-hmm. like he learned like
1: very very Ed, technical very Ed technical. Van Halen
0: stuff. He became a friend of Ed Van Halen, and you know Ed was uh, very technical, and Pete was prob Pete is probably the only guy. That I can that I know can play that stuff flawless like to a T like but it was cool like everybody in the band was really cool uh Yogi was more of a vibe player like really Jimmy Page yes very style too yeah, yeah Jimi Hendrix and incredible players so Chris did this solo tour and played some of his solo stuff but it was all kinds of stuff it was audio slave stuff it was sound garden stuff it was it was super cool and they would change the set every night like so we had a different set list every night we didn't know what we were going to play and sometimes chris would just go off and one night he was yogi was i believe he was on the other side of the stage and he had uh these bullet cables that were uh, coily guitar cables, and he had that thing stretched out across the stage. And Chris did so; he gr- took the mic stand and swung it like an axe, and sunk it into the stage and cut his guitar cord in half. Um, so I had to <laughs> run back. I had to, and that's the guitar tech job. Yep. So you got to keep the show going. So ran out there, replaced the cable, strung it back up again. Yeah, it was.
1: And where was that?
0: I wanna say Mexico. Okay. Maybe.
1: But I love that was the first line that I found when I Googled your name. Oh. Yes. That was the first thing that <laughs> popped up. Uh wow. was exactly so punk rock Dave, where does that come from? Uh is it the obvious? Well a, a friend
0: <laughs> of mine coined it, uh Stephen Michael Herrick, who uh passed away um back in ninety nine, uh died of pancreatic cancer. Um, and I, he was young. He was 27. Mm. Um, I was in a punk band called Wrist Rocket and I had blue hair, you know, spike belt, skater kid. And, uh, like that was the time where like everybody was like holding regular jobs and like that. So it was... You know, but me, I was like, I didn't care. Like I, I was a tool maker, like tool and die guy and worked on cars, but I was still just going to be mean no matter what. So, um, had blue hair and and like, we used to hang out at this bar called Innisfree. It was a Irish bar and all of us were into punk rock. I mean, it was, we grew up around it. We were all skaters from different cities and that kind of stuff. And, uh, Steve coined it one day. I walked into the bar and he was like, "Punk Rock Dave," and like,
1: That's that it. was it. And it just
0: <laughs> stuck. And everybody called me PRD or Punk Rock Dave. And yeah.
1: do you still get that now? Oh yeah, 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 fantastic. Yeah. So it's now time for song number two. This awesome. is, I think, it segues really well. Punk Punk Rock Dave. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be Black Black Flag song.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so tell up. us.
1: Yeah. Tell us about it. it or do you want to yeah. listen to it first? Up to you. We could just listen to it. It's either way.
0: Um, well, I mean, you know, it was like I said after Motley Crue, and like there were, I think it was an H Street skate video. Nice. Um, and one of their guys skated that wound up. And like when I was a skater, I always, because I loved music, like I always pictured like making my own video. Like vi- we wanted to make our own videotapes of ourselves, and add music and stuff like that and that was always a song that like would kind of be in my head while i was skating at a young age and i was little i was like 4 or 11 when i was when i was a skater um but we were really good we were all street skaters and we'd jump up like 15 sets of stairs and hence the back surgery later um <laughs> but uh Yeah, it was, Black Flag was always one of those bands that the guitar solos were just, it was Black Flag, there was nobody else that did it like that. The tones were killer, and Henry Rollins, like, his delivery on lyrics, and, like, My War, and Slippin' In, and, like, they're just great records, and that song just always amps me up it always amped me up when i was a young skater but yeah and then influenced me to you know and the punk music that i played and wrote later i mean it it was much more pop punk but it was it's still you know those were the beginnings of you know this is where i'm going
1: all right, so it's time for song number two. This is Wound Up by Black Flag off their 1984 album Slip It In. Uh, this is Dave Lapham's second song here on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. I so I must know, did you make a really awesome skate video with that song?
0: No. What? No, none of us had cameras. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> no, we weren't uh, the rich kids that had uh, video cameras back then. Yeah. But, uh... No, we just, uh, we did, I was on a television show on PBS. They, there was a show called Club Connect. Yeah. Yeah, and we were, were like on one of their, we were one of their first episodes. Like, yeah, and they filmed us at this, uh, it was a Don, a shutdown Don Donuts that was on the corner of Oxford and Telegraph, and we took all the parking blocks and, you know, stacked them too high and made this skate spot and that's where we hung out every day like smoking cigarettes drinking skating how did PBS and
1: find you for that they the, party, this is the yeah <laughs> yeah
0: it, <laughs> and it's actually somebody posted it on youtube it. um our yeah. video and they, there was a uh one of the songs from uh metallica's uh what was that EP? Um,
1: like their early that had like
0: Green Hell and it, it, they covered Misfit songs.
1: It, it's um, Garage Less Days, Car Garage yeah. Days. That oh, okay, yeah. that was the name of the yeah, EP. Yeah, Garage Inc. Garage Inc. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, and ninety uh, yeah. one. So that Gosh, was the
0: 91. song they put on it. That's and,
1: fantastic. That's and, a good song for PBS to have chosen. Yeah, I dig that a lot. <laughs>
0: cool. Yeah. Well, it turns out. it in Dearborn, Dearborn High, I went to Attelford, but um Dearborn High had one of the best video classes in Southwest Michigan. And Russ Gibb, who was the promoter for like the Grandy Ballroom and all that stuff back in the sixties and seventies, he was the head of that department and he was he had his own cable TV show and all this stuff. And like even the big TV stations and stuff, if they needed to, like, edit stuff or do stuff, like, out in the field or whatever, they'd go there and do it because they had all the -the top-of-the-line stuff. So they also did these little cable shows, like, on the weekend that were, like, punk videos and, like, bands that, you know, like, Misfits Live at the Greystone in Michigan. Like, the Greystone was this old church on Michigan Avenue in, like, one of the worst parts of town. Uh, it closed down when I was a teenager. I never got to go there, but um, epic shows there. I mean, Black Flag, Negative Approach. Uh, it, it was... And that, it, like, so they had this show on the weekend called Back Porch Video, and they would show all these, like, punk videos and, like, underground stuff. And... So all those kids were like skaters and punks and all that stuff. And somehow it got connected through that. And they asked if we'd be if we would do it. And we were like, Yeah, whatever. And, I mean, we weren't into it. We were like, Yeah, was, you know, <laughs> if they want to film us cool, whatever. So um Thanks,
1: PBS. Yeah, yeah. And so, then here you are. I love it.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> we did it and like somebody recently, like within the last few months, posted it on YouTube and I was like, holy like I'm more wear- I, I didn't even remember the pants that I was wearing. I was wearing these bright red pants. I don't like. <laughs> I, I don't know, remember where they came from. Like I, <laughs> like, but it was it was cool.
1: What do you think of your skills watching the video?
0: Oh, I was a ripper <laughs> when I was a little kid. I mean, for how small I was and like the time and stuff. And I actually, um, I went to a skate contest. We never entered. Contests. We were always like anti contests.
1: Very punk rock.
0: Yeah. But we would (laughs) go there and shred everybody. So we, I went to the Northville skate contest and a few of us went and it was hotter than hell. It was humid. And I kept trying this trick. It was like a front side grab air, but I would like do the splits in the air, like front foot off. And Jim Thebaud, one of the pro skaters that was demoing that day, he was like, are you in the contest? I was like, no. And like I said, I was like four foot tall. I was, he's like, oh, why don't you skate with us in the demo? So I got to skate with all these pros and I was terrible. I was so wiped out by then. It was early in the after. well, it was in the middle of the afternoon and hot. And I was just red and dripping in sweat. Of course I was wearing all black. Yeah. Like, That's what um, we do. Yeah. But it <laughs> but it was so fun and like just to have somebody like that come up and
1: like Skate with me.
0: Yeah, it was it was so cool.
1: That's amazing. Uh you know, think about your high school time. Uh is that kind of like the style in high school that more punk forward for you? And then what was, about everybody around you though?
0: I in high school, I was always, I guess, I i got along with everybody. I got along with the burnouts. I got along with some of the jocks. Um, it was very like outsiders. You had like jocks and greasers. Mm-hmm. You, you know, whatever. not greasers, but, you know. But kind of. We were burnouts. Yeah. Yeah. We took auto shop and welding and that kind of stuff. Um, but I kind of got along with everybody. We'd see each other at, the same parties and stuff like that. So it was it, it, it was cool, but you know, of course, there were people that just hated us because we were skateboarders. We were different. You know, we were into punk. I had a devil lock, and, you know, people didn't get it.
1: Did but, you did you do the prom homecoming, those kind of dances, things like that? No. <laughs> no.
0: I uh unfortunately never got past the tenth grade. Um, I was there for three or four years, Um, and they were like, I had an English teacher, and she came from Dearborn High, which was more, there were wealthier kids at Dearborn High, and so this teacher, I, I raised my hand to answer a question. It was like the third time I've had her for three years and I, I I failed the class every time so I raised my hand and oh what do, what do you want what you're gonna try to do something now like she did this in front of the whole class and I just sat there and she said well you know I don't know why you're trying to you know do something in this class you've been in here and blah 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 I was like you don't talk to me that way I don't know who the f- you think you are Get out of my class. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And I like I went to the office and the vice principal, she was really cool. I forget her name. But uh she was like, you know, we've tried and it's just not where we're gonna have to let you go. And that was it. So I unfortunately, um, you know, didn't graduate from high school. Later on I got my GED. Um And then, uh, but yeah, I still, there were some people that I hung out with that were going to high school and there was this girl that (laughs) asked me to go to Homecoming and they, she had to get permission. Yeah. And they said, no, (laughs) they were like, like, absolutely not. Not him again. No, 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 he's not coming back.
1: (laughs) What kind of music do you think they would even have been playing at? that kind of a prom or homecoming uh, around it,
0: then? What was that? It, it even? would have been MC Hammer. Right. Uh, Boys to Men, like that late 80s, Bobby Brown, like that kind of stuff.
1: Do you remember your first slow dance?
0: Oh, man. It, it, my first slow dance would have been at somebody's birthday party in elementary school, like a girl's birthday party where Aww. we had oh. in the basement where, you know, and we're like-, like first boy-girl party.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like,
0: and- like the people that are dancing are like hand on the hips. Like
1: that is that is a common stiff. that is a common theme through everyone. We, if we ask that question, it's like it's always the arms extended straight yeah. out, very Rotate. stiff, like bing bing back <laughs> and forth. Exactly. <laughs> Do you remember what kind of song um, maybe it even was?
0: It would have been like, uh, what was it? It was the name of the song, always like Whitney Houston or something like that. It always
1: was... love you, you mean?
0: No, no, no! um, Yeah, it would have been something like that, or a heart song, like you know, like Mm -hmm. something like that. And (laughs) back in elementary school, my first girlfriend, uh, Jamie Hasper, (laughs) we both had the same birthday. (laughs) Um, So, and I guess we were like the cutest kids in school. So it was. It was like a two-year, kind of like fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. like mm, Yeah.
1: That's adorable.
0: And then went to junior high and everything went to hell. Like, that's <laughs> when I, <laughs> you know, <laughs> found punk rock and got really angsty. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I always struggled in school. I was just different. I didn't book learn. I, it, it was always a struggle for me. But you put tools in my hand and I can do anything.
1: What um, did you want to be when you grew up?
0: Oh, I wanted to be a race car driver Um, and, you know, play guitar in a band, play a Les Paul. Uh, But, yeah, it was always – I mean, cars were always a big thing with me. My first car was a 72 Nova.
1: Nice. What color was it?
0: Black. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, You you won't believe it, Dave. The the guest on just the week before this, Mm -hmm. she Mm -hmm. told me a story about her father – fixing up um, a 73, I think, Nova Okay. Um, for her mom. And one of her songs was about cruising around in this purple Nova. Oh,
0: that's awesome.
1: That's nuts. There's that was literally yeah. last week.
0: <laughs> I, I love hearing stuff like that because cars are, cars are a big thing to me. Mm-hmm. They always have been. And uh, like I said, when I was little, I could call out almost any car on the road. Yep. And my dad was the same way. Like he was big into cars. Um,
1: my dad was too. We uh, we actually we still have it. Uh, he, we have we, we excuse me. We rebuilt uh, a 1968 uh, Roadrunner. It's Hugger Orange. Mm. The yep. horn actually goes meat meat. Yeah. Uh, like the Roadrunner and everything. He took me to my I, I went to eighth grade homecoming in that. I was by myself eighth grade in this dress that was covered in glitter. Um, so th- to this day, there's still glitter in the back seat of the car, <laughs> and that was there, very many moons ago.
0: Um yeah. I think There's a lot. Lot of glitter and uh, muscle, <laughs> <of> muscle cars in the backseat
1: for different reasons, uh, yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean that, that 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 common theme of you know cars, music, and uh, '70s. Yeah, that kind, was, I mean, it's just uh, so synonymous with the that time. I think
0: it was yeah, and it, was, it cars were everything to me. Like I, I built. My dad taught me how to build model cars, and um, what
1: would be your dream car?
0: Oh, my dream car is a '69 Camaro. Beautiful it's, color, black. Uh, dusk blue. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's always been the car that's eluded me. I've mm-hmm. never owned one, and I refuse to ever drive one unless I actually own it.
1: Nineteen sixty-eight Pontiac GTO. Yeah, that's what nice. I want. Hard top. Yeah. Sixty-eight Mustang fastback. Ooh, sixties is nice. such a good year for cars. We had we the, had good taste over the here. late
0: sixties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like sixty seven and up. Like it, it, things started to change. And mm-hmm. it was, I mean, I love older cars, but the sixty nine Camaro was always. I don't know. It just did something to me, and I I've chased that car. I've tried to get one, but they're so expensive. They've just been. I can't even imagine. Always now, out of reach. Yeah, so. And I had a couple of Novas. I actually my first car, we had a sixty-nine Camaro. It was my dad and I went to this Camaro show and it it was right when muscle cars started to kind of become like people wanted to start restoring them and collecting them mm. in the mid eighties. Mm-hmm. Um so we saw this, it was rotten. It was uh Glacier blue, convertible, six-cylinder, Michigan car. You could see through the trunk. Like, you could see through the quarter panel into the trunk. And so we got the bright idea we were going to restore this thing. So we bought it for, like, 750 bucks, And we got it home, and he took it for one drive, and it blew a brake line. And then the car sat in the garage, and we never touched it. And... Later on in high school I was gonna build this frame where we were gonna take the whole car apart, put it on this rotisserie, and that was my welding project. So but that never got finished. But um so yeah, I actually we had a sixty nine Camaro, but by the time I got my license, like he, he couldn't drive the thing, it was so unsafe and right. and rotten. And then I ended up getting a fifty nine Edsel from my auto shop teacher. Wow. And being a skater with this gigantic car with these huge wings and like yeah um, color we were just thinking color. Like, dude we're all little kids like we could <laughs> we can fit like fifteen people in this car like and that car never ran like it it had some issues and it was rotten it, Michigan cars are really tough to deal with but um, so I ended up selling that but my first actual car that I could drive and was you know the real deal was my nova that was yeah, I love that car
1: that's fantastic i love that so much did you have a name for it by chance people sometimes call their cars they name them certain things i wasn't sure maybe you seem no, like that be no i never i
0: never named my cars <laughs> um no it's but i i you know like i had a camaro that uh 2015 that i raced and a few years back but yeah, uh, never named them, but I've always loved them.
1: Let's shift to concerts now. I want to yeah, talk yeah. to you about your concert experiences. Uh, what is the last concert that you had been to?
0: Last concert? Hot Water Music up at Janice Live.
1: Oh, all right. Yeah, You know them.
0: In a veil, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: what about, uh, you think, your best concert, the concert that you got to experience? Not necessarily maybe be Guitar Tech 4, unless that would be See, it. That dance.
0: That's where it gets tough because Good. I've been a guitar tech and some of the bands I worked for and stuff. Fortunately for me, I got to see a lot of amazing moments. And, you know, like Allison Chains, like every night that band sounds like the record and they are awesome and they would change the set list every night. Um, Most bands that I worked with did, they'd always change the set list, so it was always, there was that one night where it was just like, it brings you chills, and like, I had Jerry's mix in my ears, so whatever he heard, I heard, and we had these molded in-ear monitors, so it sounded incredible. So every night, it sounded like the record. A little bit more of his vocal, and a little bit more guitar, but... I mean, just killer. And some nights where he was like, like when they play Nutshell, mm. and he was getting real emotional and like, you know, remembering Lane and thinking about Lane and stuff like that. And he, bringing it out on the on the guitar, it's just incredible. Um, and Chris too, like uh, Cornell, he would... He would do like an acoustic thing mid set a lot of times, and uh there's an audio slave song I think they wrote it about Katrina. It's really moody um and once in a while he would sing that, and it was just like, it and I cried one time, like it was just crazy like um so it's stuff like that it's. I think those are my favorite shows, and mm-hmm. then you know, like e- Eagles of Death Metal, they were a party every night. It was yeah. great. They were just the funnest band, um, always having a good time, dance parties all the time. Like um,
1: the Eagles of Death Metal played. There was a Fort Rock. I think it was. Uh, unfortunately, it was only a few days before uh, Chris Cornell passed away, um, yeah. and Soundgarden was playing. That it was. Um, a perfect Circle, I know Soundgarden was there, um, Eagles of Death Metal. I was very excited for, for those bands in, mm-hmm. in particular. And then two days later, I couldn't believe that. Um, Soundgarden, and I remember very vividly, I have a very vivid memory of um, seeing Black Hole Sun on MTV, the music video, for the first time. Yep. And that music video and those visuals stu- have stuck with me to to this day, uh, that song I listen to constantly, uh, that album I listen to incessantly because it just had such an impact on me because of that. I mean, his voice, just everything. Well, that uh,
0: whole time was, uh, I mean, that was, to me, that's like the last great music movement. Like 90s, the 90s, rock, yeah, alt rock kind of, The early yeah. 90s, like uh, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden... Pearl Jam, um, like that, it was so electric and it was so like, it was crazy. And like, you know, people orchestrated songs, like the parts, the guitar parts, the, and they were moody and it was, and it was so cool. And fortunately, later on, I talked to people that had been in the music industry for throughout that whole change from, like, the heavy metal era to – because, it's like, that whole heavy metal era, like, he had, like, bands like Poison and Winger and things like that, and it got real poppy and weird. And yeah, it did. Like, every record sounded like it was recorded in an arena. And Chris told me, like, when Soundgarden got signed, he said it was the oddest thing. He – you know, they were all just working regular jobs – Guys from Seattle, whatever they came down to l a signed a record deal, and they're what- he was walking down sunset and saw them on a billboard, and he was like, "What the f-? like and felt really uncomfortable, and went back to Seattle, and he said, "My life wasn't never the same, and it just happened so fast it was you know like a bulldozer, it just came in and took people by storm, and there were guys that I knew that uh, were, like, tour managers and stuff for bands like Winger and stuff like that. Their tours collapsed overnight. Like, within two weeks, they were done. They went from sold-out arenas to nothing. So, it, it's – I feel like I grew up in all the best times of music, and rock and roll anyway. I mean – you know, there's, I could go on for days and days and days about great bands with, you know, ACDC, Black Sabbath, like, but then the 90s was, you know, like you had your video moment. I had one, I was uh, on acid and uh, the video for Smells Like Teen Spirit mm-hmm. came on and I started to get really high <laughs> and, Um the World Series was on and my Friend had a big screen TV, and I was like trying to get my shit together. And I was like, "All right, all right, baseball. I know what baseball is." <laughs> <laughs> I and I kept hearing "Smells like Teen Spirit." That hello, mm-hmm. hello, like over and over and over again in my head, and I couldn't comprehend who the band was. And then this guy took a swing with a bat, and I just saw a skirt of bats around him, and I was like, "Holy!" Oh, <laughs> walk outside, but that song like embedded itself in me, and like that that whole movement.
1: It was raw. It was visceral. It was real. It, but it was also very intentional.
0: That was that was the era that was like get in a band and start playing. Like, and that I, 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 I was the first band I was ever in. Uh, was a band called Yard Waste, and it was was cool. It was an alt-rock band, like indie rock band.
1: I've enjoyed your band names.
0: Yeah, and (laughs) the guy who started it, Bill Hultgren, um, he did it because on the recycling bins, they gave these stickers that said Yard Waste, and they were free. (laughs) There you go. That's why I named the band that. Love that. So, yeah.
1: Uh, Any concert that you think of that you've gone to, you didn't get to work, that really sticks out in your brain? Hmm. You've worked with so many amazing artists. I can only imagine that probably a lot of those experiences have to be being a guitar tech or doing tech for a concert or a band.
0: Yeah, and it's – but I think I've gone to so many shows that's like – especially back in the day, I don't really – I haven't gone to shows too much, but Florida is a little tough to find shows, but, um, and bands just aren't firing me up like they used to, but uh, a concert, it, there was a, the first punk show I ever went to was at some hall, I don't remember where it was, it was like in Down River in Michigan, and it was Ugly But Proud, Scraps, and like seven other bands. And back then, like all the punks were, you were either skinheads or apple cids. Apple cids were like these devil wearing, you know, leather jacket. And they hated each other. And they'd always fight. And I was little and standing up on this table watching this circle pit of nothing but punks just destroy each other. And I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Like, I,
1: I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Like, <laughs> if you've not experienced a circle pit, it is something to – Like,
0: back in the day where oh people goodness. were, like, boot partying each other. Like, I mean, they were – like, I mean, hardcore shows are hardcore shows now. It's, you know, with the windmilling and all that – But, you know, back then it was like it was circle pit. And, like, if that pit came together, it was violent. And it was, you know, people wore steel-toed boots on purpose, like, to inflict harm. Mm-hmm. Like, it was... Yeah, it just changed me forever. Isn't it?
1: All right, it's now time for your last song. Uh, what is it?
0: Uh, Rain When I Die by Allison Chance.
1: Yeah. You want to listen to the song first? You want to tell the story first?
0: Uh, well, it's, I mean, it, it, we'll talk about it. Great. Um. Yeah, it, you know, with it, like that whole movement, and like, but that record, in particular, was just life changing. Like in those harmonies, and that song always just it always gripped me. Like it's very moody, and it's technical, and it's just it's it's so good. Like and it it just. It was weird, like, being a guitar tech and then, you know, being Jerry's right-hand man and, you know, he – we did a pilot-co-pilot thing, you know? So he's out playing and um, all of his channel changing I would do. So I had to know the songs as well as he did. um, And we just – we had a, an amazing time. He was a great dude. Um but then I would like there were moments I'd be on stage, and I'd be like, "Holy, shit, I'm working for my idols, like you know Chris and Jerry and all these guys, and then later on Steve Stevens with Billy Idol and um and I would have those moments where I'd just kind of check myself I mean I'm friends and working with my idols like People that I've watched on MTV with, you know, my eyes wide open and just, and now I'm here and I'm experiencing it and traveling the world with them. And, um, it's, yeah, it kind of blows me away, but yeah, that song, I mean, whenever they would throw that in the set list, I was like, awesome, like, it's just so good. I mean, they they had so many good songs. It was, but dirt
1: know. dirt as an album, um, from top to bottom, is one of one of the best. I think uh, alternative rock albums. Uh, oh, hands down. hands down. Yeah, yeah. If that's not in the conversation, then maybe you aren't very familiar with that kind of music, <laughs> right? And it, it,
0: I mean, but there's so much cool stuff that came out of that whole movement, and they, and they were like, you know, them and Soundgarden to me, were, like, the focal point of that whole thing. Like, as far as talent in the music and um, just, like... And then you had people like Mike Watt, who did a solo record with Dave Grohl and Pat Schmier and all these people, like... And I, I went to that show at St. Andrews, and Hovercraft and the Foo Fighters were the openers. And this is when Foo Fighters first started. They were in Hovercraft was a band that was Eddie Vetter and his wife and somebody else, and it was instrumental. And it was right at that time where women just wanted to tear Eddie Vetter apart. Like so 90% of the people in the crowd were women and they were, Eddie, Eddie, they were just screaming. So, Hovercraft comes on, nobody knows what to expect, and it's just this video projection of like, the beginning of time to the end of the world, that was their whole set. Like, they just played and ramped it up, and I thought it was the coolest thing. I was like, that's awesome. And he played with a plastic mask on, like a clear kind of clown face or whatever it was. He played drums. And his wife played bass, I believe. Um, Instrumental. Crazy. It was awesome. And then Foo Fighters came out and they ripped it. I mean, they were a brand new band back then. And then uh, Eddie Vedder played guitar on uh, Kids of the 70s, I think the song's called on the record. Right. And all these girls are screaming. Like... And he turned his back to him and flipped him off. Like, it was just, like, I was like, oh, it's punk. It's awesome. Like, it, so, like, those moments where maybe people forgot about, like, records like that. Like, that whole, that's what I'm saying. That whole era was just filled with so much good music and talent and the fire behind it. And, like, people wanted to go to shows. And it was before the internet and downloadable music and so it just, I think that was, to me, that was, like, the end as far as, like, the great rock and roll movements. I mean, punk bands, you know, My Chemical Romance and things like that, they exploded. and But they didn't have the push that, I mean, those bands were millions of records sold, platinum artists. And, you know, it's changed so much nowadays. If you sell 500,000 records, that's considered, like, the same it's crazy like
1: and the way you, I mean the way we can get access we have access to music now is just completely different given digital means I mean it's you know yeah, and Spotify it, and, and everything you don't even need to buy albums anymore you could get a streaming service listen to it and not even need that so it's a yeah. whole different it's a whole different way now to consume music and and enjoy albums if people even do that too much anymore
0: and it, it it's a curse and a blessing mm-hmm. I mean, there you can get anything you think of and there are some bands that like I I hear a record, like, my wife introduced me to the band Iron Chic, and I love it, one of the records, I just I love that record. Um, but it, it's, there's so much out there, and I think there's a lot of bad stuff out there. It, people are just throwing stuff out there that, I mean, everybody, you know, art is art, but... I guess more of the manufactured stuff where it's like, you know, major label stuff or, you know, pop bands and things like that, it just it does nothing for me. Like I don't but even guitar stuff. I mean, you don't have the guitar idols like you had. You don't have a Randy Rhoads. You don't have a Eddie Van Halen. Like those people are they're hard to find. But it's also it, it, it seems like people don't care like they used to because there's so much there's and that's where I'm saying there's I guess that's what I mean like there's too much nobody knows what to grasp nobody knows what to hold on to and care about and you know it it, and it's music it's cars it's all that stuff everything's become like disposable and I wish it wasn't anymore like I wish people there was something that would just people can latch on to the next Rock and roll movement Like something Like There's gotta be a band out there
1: Well let's remind people Who Alice in Chains is right? Yeah yeah Let's listen to it uh, This is Rain- This is the way you do it Yeah this is the way you do it <laughs> uh, This is uh, Rain When I Die By Alice in Chains From their 1992 album Dirt It's Dave Labham's Third song here On Three Song Stories Biography for music
0: I've got to do A lot of my dreams You know That working in the music industry and watching the kind of stuff that I did and doing the things that I did. and um, A lot of people don't live their dreams. They don't have a chance or an opportunity. And you know, sometimes it's, you know, like when I first started, you know, my parents didn't get it. They were like, how the hell are you going to make any money doing it? You know, but I did. I, Ended up meeting the right people. I went at it professionally and um, just kept trying to move up, you know, never moved down. So, um, yeah, I mean, I got to travel the world and started marking off. It was easier to mark off the places I hadn't been. So, um, you know, Iceland... South Africa with Chris Cornell, like going on a safari, like Australia, Europe was like a second home. And, I mean, I, you know, doing festivals like Leeds and Reading and with Mike Ham and Billy Idol and Alice and Chris and Eagles of Death Metal and Queens. And yeah, it's, it's a lot, but. What a hell of a ride.
1: What a hell of a ride indeed. <laughs> when was the last time you listened to that song, you think?
0: Oh, not too long ago.
1: Okay, so uh, it comes up. Just,
0: yeah, because they're a band that I just love to listen to. I love that record. And um, my wife and I actually play a Rocksmith on PlayStation. Mm-hmm. And you have to use your guitar Oh, okay. And it reads the strings and the notes and all that stuff. And yeah, it's te- seriously cool. Yeah, you can, it's- like,
1: you can straight up. It's 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 like it's rad, right? It's like the grown-up version of uh, Guitar Hero because it's a real. You use a real guitar and you play, and it'll teach you.
0: Yeah, real songs, all the fingering. It traces everything you do. It knows when you do taps and bends and staccatos and like all that stuff. So, and they have a ton of music, and there's like I, I think there's like. Eight Allison Chain songs, or something like that. So I got them all. Like, I was like, I want to learn how to play them. And, you know, my hand still doesn't work great, but it's been great therapy. And, like, so it's super fun. And then she got into playing. So I got a bass and we got a bunch of guitars. And, like, we'll play and learn all this stuff. Right now, we're going, we were like, all right, all the songs that are tuned in E, we're going to do all of them. Right, yeah, and I get <laughs> to <face>. like <laughs> the um, marathon. Get to West Montgomery and like try to do what he did and like Chuck Berry and all this stuff, and I'm like, I can't play this. Like, and then there's even you know some of the new metal guys, and it's just like, no.
1: I mean, I think of some like have you ever Polyferie before? Uh, You'll have to look them up. It's extremely technical, beautiful, melodic. Uh, I implore you to check them out for sure. And especially trying to think of something that has a little bit more technicality to it. But it's absolutely gorgeous. And I mean, like the finger picking and the tapping that I had not, it's becoming more popular, I've noticed a bit now. Um, But I've I've never seen anything or people play like that in my entire life.
0: Have you ever heard a band, uh, Ocean Size? I have not. All right, being that you like, this music and what we've been talking about and stuff like that. Check out ocean size, the album efference. Okay. It's, it'll blow your mind.
1: Any other band suggestions for our, for our listeners? I like this a lot. I love sharing music and letting people be exposed to something a little bit different too with this. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, man, what am I, what am I vibing on right now? That's a hard thing. I'm like going back and listening to, you know, like I love Alkaline Trio, mm-hmm. um, you know. Being a Every guys, needs a lady. Midwest guy, like yeah. <laughs> Every
1: I, needs a lady. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> love that, them. Yeah.
0: Um, and then bands like Caven, mm-hmm. Small Brown Bike. Um, and Small Brown Bike's one of my like. They were friends of ours, and I played shows with them when I was in PT's Revenge, and um, just I, I love listening to that band. Um
1: those are great suggestions. I think that's fantastic. If you have and, any other ones that pop up, you let me know.
0: And being it's Christmas, Ooh. I never knew Billy Idol did a Christmas song and it's super awesome. It's super pop punk and I didn't badass. know that either. Yeah, I I found it by accident cuz I was listening to his stuff one day and um and it came up on like random songs and it's
1: Yelling at the Christmas Tree. That's it. Oh, that you. is <laughs> it. <laughs> it's so <Yeah>. good. <laughs>
0: That's right, yeah. Because his dad's wasted and yelling at the Christmas tree. That's the whole thing about this song.
1: That sounds a little bit more on brand. Yeah, yeah. That sounds a little bit more like what we were looking for.
0: It's it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Isn't that awesome? It is awesome. The bells in the background. Yeah, yeah, the bells. It's everything. It brings a different a different attitude to your holiday season, right?
0: Yeah, a little yeah. Bit. <laughs> it, it, it's like yeah, it was cool to like. I love hearing new music, and then I never realized he wrote like a pop punk Christmas
1: song. I'm like, just happy to find out about that whole album. There's an entire because Billy Idol he's, he's, Christmas he's doing album. All of the songs he's singing like yeah. Jingle Bells and Joy to the World, like, <laughs> but like in Billy Idol style, it's great.
0: Yeah, he oh, he's amazing. He's he's so much fun, and yeah, what an what an entertainer. Just still killing it.
1: We are now getting to the end of this. I've had so much fun talking to you about music that I I absolutely adore, but you've had such a different perspective of working with these bands, with these artists and musicians. So that is just so fascinating to me and probably so many people listening to this. So I just appreciate your stories. Oh. Uh, Oh, my God. And you said it was difficult for you to pick your three songs.
0: Yeah, this is a really hard show. Like, I mean, if you're like into music the way that I am, and everything it's like i said like it's i felt like it should be like kiss double platinum like do two records you know but it's it the challenge is great because then it makes you really think about like what songs stand out in your head like what and why like what the moments or things you remember things that are that important to you like And trying to narrow that down is a really tough thing to do. (laughs) Like there were so many songs. Like oh, maybe I should do that. Oh, Maybe I should do that. Um. uh, Yeah. There. I mean, there was. Um. I thought in the beginning because that very first moment where I listened to uh, Zeppelin two. The first song, like, watching it on that little crappy record player, Mm -hmm. just. Yeah, that was the moment. That was, you know. Did you ever get that Les Paul? Oh, yeah. I got a Les Paul. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's, uh, but it was, the pictures were, WRIF is a Detroit radio station, rock and roll radio station. And at the auto show or the Autorama or one of those things, they always had a radio booth with the DJs and they'd sign and autographs and do all this stuff. And they had this book it was, like, the size of a record. And it was all, like, bands that they play. Like, live shots and then pictures of the DJs. And right in the center was... I mean, there was, like, Jeff Beck, Tom Petty, Hart. Like, right in the center were t- four pages dedicated to Led Zeppelin. And it was, like, two pictures of Jimmy Page right when, like... And that's what sold me. And I was like listening to that and, you know, it's – I love those moments. they when I got in trouble listening to ACDC in the hallway in elementary school in like second or third grade, <laughs> highway to hell. Like, you can't play that in here. <laughs>
1: I got my Green Day uh, in third grade. I got my Green Day uh, Dookie CD taken away from me because I, that was the first CD I personally bought myself. I remember bringing it to school uh, and I had gotten it taken away because of what, I mean, look at what it looks like. And I'm this very long haired blonde, you know, in elementary school. And that's, but that's what I listened to. And I, was obsessed with reading lyrics and books uh, and lyric books so i would always bring them with me and i'd listen to it on my portable cd player cassette player whatever and i would read the lyric books and i got it taken away from me um and (laughs) and had to my mom come and pick me up and and get it so i could have it again i was very upset (laughs) uh so i I can feel you on that one um we're gonna do a little speed round a little speed round now uh so kind of rapid fire uh to the best of of your ability with this uh if you're a championship wrestler what would your entrance theme song be? This is a Tara Calligan original question.
0: <laughs> Schools out. Okay, by Alice Cooper. By Alice Cooper? <laughs>
1: yeah. Would you be more of like a heel, like a bad guy kind of thing, or would you do the more, you know?
0: Oh, I'd probably be the bad guy. There for you go. Sure. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Uh, if you were a cocktail drink beverage of some kind, what what would that be? That would, that would synthesize you, and what do you think you'd call it?
0: Well <laughs> Paps Blue Ribbon, probably. There you go. <laughs> I mean, what would you call it? I, uh, cheap date. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, that's Yeah, exactly. I mean
1: Cheap Date you know, at the Punk Bar.
0: Yeah, Detroit was, yeah, cheap beer and rock and roll. It was yeah.
1: I love it. Uh if you had to guess, what would you say the song you've listened to the most ha- in, in through your lifetime has been a song that you constantly find yourself coming back to?
0: Oh. Man. Probably it's got to be a Sabbath song. Mm. Um, yeah, any anything off of, like, volume four. Yeah, just incredible.
1: Would that be an album you think that you would want to listen to over oh, and over yeah. and over again? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Sabbath was awesome.
1: What do you think the most overplayed song is of maybe all time, if you could pick one?
0: Mariah Carey's Christmas song. Oh,
1: all I want for Christmas, yeah, is you.
0: I, people love that song. <laughs> I'm just... Um, I haven't d- heard it yet this season. Oh, lucky you. Well, I don't know. <laughs> now I'm afraid right when I open this door. Someone's going to blare it at me. <laughs> no, it, it, it's like maybe that or... Um, yeah, it, it, yeah. it's got to be something like that. I mean, I, it, it's a good song. I, I, I'm not knocking it, but I,
1: I just don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> like, Do you karaoke at all?
0: Uh, no, I used to, um, occasionally like that punk, uh, Irish bar that we hung out at. They did karaoke. And so yeah, we'd get up there and do stuff, but what it's been a think? long time. Oh, I don't even remember. <laughs> it was probably a country song like Hank Williams Jr. or something like that. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, a best album, would that be of of all time? Would that Oof. be volume four? Would that be oh, Dirt? Man. Would that be something you haven't mentioned yet?
0: See, that... Man, that's...
1: You're a good person to ask these questions to.
0: You know what? Uh, uh, Miles Davis, Kind of Blue.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, nice.
0: That is an epic record. Now, here, here's a great record. And I used to use this as a tuning tool for like a stereo put the e key flat and even in a car like figuring out where this if the stereo sounds good bad company by bad company that recording every single little nuance you hear even in a digital format like me and a uh a guy that builds guitar rigs, Dave Friedman, um, who I'm going to recommend for the show. Beautiful. Um, he's he he's a big reason why I was so successful. He lined me up with so many great people. Um, but he builds everybody's guitar rigs. So he worked on all Ed Van Halen's stuff, like he worked on his amps and things like that. Um, but you know builds all the stuff for Pete Thorne, builds, he he does everybody's stuff, and it's, he's the best, and he's a very good friend, and him and I, I lived at his place when I lived in LA, and I was listening to my stereo, and we were listening to it out by the pool, and I had these killer speakers and a killer stereo, and we just realized, like, how perfect that recording is, it was like, holy Like, even in a digital format, it sounds so good. So that's a great record. But I think Miles Davis, like, that record I can just, like, sit on a couch and just turn the lights down a little bit and, like, oh, it's so good. Just go. Yeah.
1: Is there a kind of music or a song that you will just completely avoid listening to for any reason?
0: Oh, yeah, sugary pop music. Okay. Like— you know, these young pop artists nowadays, especially like I, i worked with uh, for a short period, Bridget Mendler, Disney kid, you know, <laughs> and I I was taken for them and they had, they have all these like Berkeley kids, you know, they're all student, you know, trained musicians and stuff, but they're all super nerdy. And so they never experienced like the whole rock and roll thing. They're, they're musicians like really green, like as far as life goes. So I had to watch some of that stuff, especially on Christmas, like uh what's that girl's name? Carly Ray Jessup? Mm-hmm. She it, it it's it, those concerts are like they get up there and do like three songs and then go away. And I just don't get it. Like it's just not my thing. I don't. Does not
1: bring you joy.
0: And there's so many backing tracks, and most of it's like, it's just of tape. Like which doesn't appeal to me at all. Like I want tube amps. I want. I want the raw thing. I want the real deal. But I ended up getting those kids drunk one night. (laughs) We we went out to eat at, I think it was like a Carrabba's or something like that. It might have been in Florida before I lived here. Like we did some Christmas show. And I was like, oh, let's go over there and, you know, have some drinks. And me and the crew guy, like one of the crew guys, him and I worked on my chem together. He was their front house engineer. And uh, so I was like – we're, I'm gonna get these kids to do shots of whiskey. It only took like two shots, and they were toast. Like, but they had such a great time and just laughing and yeah, it was awesome.
1: Were they able to function the next day?
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're pros. I mean, they're <laughs> yeah, but they definitely did not want to do it again.
1: So. Uh, if you could broadcast a song into the head of every single person on the entire world right now, what song would you choose? Ooh. I do like to remind our guests when I host this that you can choose anything. A lot of people think, you know, you broadcast a song to everyone's mind. It has to be maybe a certain kind of thing, you whatever you want. Um...
0: You got some tough questions. Thank you. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's awesome. It just gets Thank my you. wheels turning. Um, Which is
1: great. That's like really the whole point of this.
0: Oh man. Down payment blues by ACDC. Why? It's just a great song. And Bon Scott, ACDC is like It's just a jam and that record is just sin city and like, it's just such a killer record. Um, yeah, I would say something like that where it's like, you know, more upbeat and rock and roll and like a song you can enjoy, you know? And I'd want to promote rock and roll. I you know, yeah.
1: Perfect. That's pretty much it. I mean, I, I last question yeah. I would love to ask you though, is Sure. It's, if- you could talk to your fourteen-year-old self, kind of hone back in. <laughs> in that, we we've talked would, a bit about that time of your life too. Would, uh, what ugh. What do you think your fourteen-year-old self would think of who you are today?
0: Um, my fourteen-year-old self would probably be like, "Man, you're getting old. <laughs> you're just turning into an old man. You're getting cranky." And yeah, I and I would probably, you know, smack my fourteen your old self up the back of the head and be like, get your head out of your ass and figure it out. <laughs> don't, don't blow it, you know? Um, yeah, it's, I mean, there there's things that I did that, you know, you don't realize until you get older that you just made your life that much harder, you know? Um. Fortunately for some of us, we come out on the better end of it and we learn from our mistakes, and I, um, and you learn as you go. It's life. I mean, it, it changes, and, you know, things happen, and how you roll with it, you know, you figure out, you develop your character and how you're going to deal with life. So I think I did pretty good. Took a lot of hard work, took a lot of stupidity sometimes. Um, like I said, I come out on the, the better end. So got a beautiful wife, and, you know, a lot of stories to tell and yeah.
1: It is now time for you to recommend three people who you promise that you'll share your episode with, but that you also think would make great guests uh, for us to get either in the studio or we could always remote with them, uh, you know, long distance too. So you don't have to limit yourself to the area.
0: Yeah. Um, Gage Denson, who I work with over at a stairway Chevrolet. um, is a very interesting dude. He's a younger guy. Um, He's got Great taste in music. He's a good storyteller. Um, and he's kind of like, he's not a musician, but I like his take on music and what he thinks about music and stuff like that. Um, Dave Reedman, uh, who's been in the music industry for quite some time, um, has a lot of stories and just loves music as much as I do. Um, and actually I'm going to reach out to Pete Thorne.
1: That would be amazing.
0: Um, cause he is also, a he's a dear friend. I love him. And, uh, he loves me. He just, I mean, he's, he's probably got music notes in his blood, you know, like, uh, super talented and just, just an amazing dude. So fantastic yeah
1: any final thoughts this is it you've made it through we've had such awesome conversations about it's very specific kinds of music really but gosh all over the place I love it
0: I mean you know go after your dreams just don't hurt yourself (laughs) and uh, don't make your life any harder than it needs to be just have a good time
1: We make three song stories in the studio of WGCU Public Radio on the campuses of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Mike Canary is co-creator and host. Richard Chinquay is co-creator and producer. I'm Tara Calligan, our online content producer and host. Our production assistant is Jared, the intern, Gonzalez. Chris Duffus is executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studios in St. Pete. Keep listening.